Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Painter Household. We thought we might get a little bit Christmassy this morning. If you were at uh, our show, The Glory of Christmas, last week, you would have seen this beautiful scene. And you would have heard Hannah Locke singing a song, One Glorious Night When Love Crossed Over. Such a well-known and well-loved scene, but don't we take it for granted? Because we retell the story of Jesus' birth over and over, it can't help but lose its power a bit. And we have to really work to understand the radical nature of what happened at that first Christmas. A few weeks ago, I was teaching in the series, So I've Always Wanted to Ask, on the question of how can Jesus be both human and divine? And I asked you to vote on the most significant event in Christian history, whether you thought it was Christmas or Easter. Well, I believe that Christmas is the actual core of it all. God crossing over from immortal, all-powerful God to vulnerable human. It's an amazing idea, isn't it? The one with the power to create the universe barely able to wrap his fingers around his mother's. But if we accept that God did become a man, then everything else is possible. Water into wine? Why not? Walking on water? Well, that's easy. Raised from the dead? Of course. This God becoming flesh is called the doctrine of incarnation, and it is the core doctrine of the Christian faith. This is what makes Christianity, Christianity. There are many faithful religious people in the world who believe in God, a supreme power who rules over mankind. But Christians believe that that supreme power became a man in the person of Jesus. No other world religion dares to tell a story of their holy God lowering themselves to become a man. To a Muslim person, this thought would probably be blasphemous. Their powerful God stooping so low to become a mere human? But perhaps there is another way to look at it. The story of a God that loved us so much that he would humble himself in this way. Author Bradley Jersak tells the story of how he was awakened to the power of the Incarnation through an encounter with a Native American um, social worker. And I know that the American Native spirituality in some ways is very similar to our own Indigenous people. She said to him, I'm not a Christian. I don't use the same language as you. But I believe that the universe fills everything with love and never abandons or rejects us. And then her eyes grew as she experienced this aha moment. What if the universe wanted to communicate that love to us? What if the best way to do it was to come as one of us? Yes. Now, where do we see this idea in Scripture? In many places, but here's a few of the the most popular. In John 1, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. 
And in a couple of verses in Colossians, Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And in chapter 2, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And then we have Jesus himself as recorded in the book of John. Philip, who was one of his disciples, said to him, Master, show us the Father, then we'll be content. Jesus said to him, You've been with me all this time, Philip, and you still don't understand? To see me is to see the Father. I suppose the question is, why would God take on human flesh? Well, there's a story I've heard of of a child who was having problems sleeping at night because she kept imagining monsters in her room and time after time she would be calling out to her mum to come in and and, uh, shoo the monster away. And her mum comes in for the eighth time, exhausted, sits on the end of the bed and she says, look, sweetie, you don't have to be scared. Just remember that God is with you. And the child says, I know God is here, Mum, but right now I need someone in this room who has skin. This is why he came. A God who is everywhere is just as easily perceived by us as being nowhere. We are sensual creatures. We touch, see, hear, smell, taste. We are open to the world through our senses. He created us. He knows what we need. So he came with skin. I'm sure that most of you have seen the hit movie Avatar, where a soldier is able to transport his mind and soul into the body of another species. It's a great movie. Well, in a way, Jesus was the only true living avatar of the transcendent God. In simple terms, we say that Jesus showed us exactly what God is like. God and Christ are one. If you want to know the character of God, Look at Jesus. God is entirely Christ-like. Now, I want to take us deeper into this idea of incarnation than maybe we've ever been before. I used my life group as a market research group, and some of them thought I was heretic. So they helped me with my language to communicate this idea. So let's see how we go. So here's the question. We would say that the incarnation, God becoming flesh, started when Jesus was born on that first Christmas, right? In the Bible, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the incarnation was God's incredible plan to reconcile humanity back to himself. And it began when Jesus was born. But when did it end? The meta-narrative of the biblical story goes a bit like this. In the beginning, God created everything, including his beloved children, us, But humanity soon sinned, choosing their own way. God chose to save humanity despite our sin. He called the prophets to tell the people to get ready, that he was going to do something amazing. And then finally, when the time was right, God came. 
He had two natures, human and divine. He revealed what God was like. He taught, healed, loved. He was betrayed, crucified, dead, buried, and then rose again to life. For 40 days, he was present with his followers, continuing to teach them, and then he went back to heaven. Now, this is the story of the ascension of Jesus as recorded in the book of Acts. Dear Theophilus, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptised in water. You will be baptised in the Holy Spirit and soon. These were his last words, and as they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud, and they stood there staring into the empty sky. Now, in this concept, God walked the earth physically for 33 years, and then he returned to heaven, finishing the incarnation, God becoming flesh, but leaving us the Holy Spirit a real but less physical presence of God. Now, some translations of the Bible call the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost, which certainly adds to the idea of some strange, otherworldly, untouchable power. So the incarnation finished when Jesus went back to heaven. It sounds maybe right, but something is not ringing true. It gives the impression that the incarnation, God becoming flesh, was a 33-year experiment, a one-shot incursion into human history. God came to earth physically and then went back home. It uses the past tense. He was here with us, but he no longer is. I think there is a critical misunderstanding in this and and here is where I want to propose a different and, and far more hopeful understanding. The incarnation is still going on. It is just as physical as when Jesus walked the dirt roads of Palestine. How can this be? I can hear you saying, The incarnation was not a one-shot 33-year experiment. It began with Jesus and it has never stopped. The ascension of Jesus did not end the word becoming flesh. God is still present with skin on him. How? We are the body of Christ. And by we... I mean all those who call Jesus Lord, who have invited the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is God, into our lives. The actual human body of Jesus is no longer present on earth, but his plan was for something so much greater. Jesus said this himself in the book of John. I didn't tell you this earlier, 
because I was with you every day. But now I am on my way to the one who sent me. So let me say it again, this truth. It's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Jesus had a better plan. He knew in his physical presence he was one person in one place at one time. But his vision was for a multitude of people who would be his hands, his feet, his heart, his words, his forgiveness, his grace, his love. His vision was the church. We are the body of Christ. This is not an exaggeration. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything, says Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul doesn't say that we replace the body of Christ or that we represent Christ's body. He says simply that we are Christ's body. The word did not just become flesh and dwell amongst us. It became flesh and continues to dwell amongst us. Now, I want to make it clear that we as flawed human beings with wills of our own, we are not God. I'm not saying that the spirit of God invades Christians like the invasion of the body snatchers. But I am saying that something mystical and supernatural is happening when we cooperate with God to allow him to show himself through us. Now, one of the dads in my life group said this profound thing. He said maybe it was like him and his kids. He hoped that as they grew, they would represent him and the values that he's instilled into them out into their worlds. And yes, this is true for us as Christians as we look to to the example of Jesus. But Jesus is not just an example that we follow. Jesus is a living presence to walk with. Jesus is a living presence who fills us and guides us and acts through us. I could say that I model much of my life on my dear late dad, whom I admired greatly, but I would never say that I'm supernaturally filled with his presence. There is something altogether deeper going on here than just the parent-child relationship. And this is the core of Christian spirituality. God's presence in the world today depends very much on us, and I'm talking to Christ followers here. We have to become God's physical hands, feet, mouth and heart in this world. As Jesus loved and taught and cared and embraced and healed and pointed people to God, so does the community of believers love and teach and embrace and point people to God. Now, why is this such a big deal? Well, a theist, a theist is someone who believes in a God in heaven. A Christian believes in a God in heaven, but who is also physically present on this earth through the actions of human beings. The Christian God is not some vague force or ground of being. The Christian God has skin on him and it looks like yours and mine. 
Now, if you are listening to this and you are not a follower of Christ, you could be thinking, this is too heavy for me. I just thought Jesus had some cool ideas about loving our neighbours. Or you could be saying, I want in. This is the sort of calling that matters and I've been waiting for that all of my life. The invitation is open to you, but don't step into it lightly. To carry the presence of Jesus is a big deal. But the best thing is, it doesn't depend on your goodness or your holiness. It is about your willingness to step out of the driver's seat of your life and let him take the wheel. Bradley Jersak put it this way. We become God's partners and then through grace alone, God may move powerfully in the world through us, far beyond what we could ask or imagine. When God finds a human partner, we find a divine partner. That's when we become naturally supernatural, producing fruit by the Holy Spirit's grace that cannot be squeezed out of human striving. I find this whole idea absolutely mind-blowingly wonderful and mind-blowingly terrifying. Me, carrying the presence of God. You, being the Jesus that people will see. Us, being the body of Christ, his hands and his feet. The implications of this are huge. When the love of God crossed over into our world, he changed it forever. Well, next week, I want to continue this with some practicalities. What does this really mean in reality? It has implications in how we pray, how we reach out to those outside the church, how we stay in love and unity within the church, how we steward our sex lives and our relationships. This season of Christmas, when love crossed over, it's a big, big deal. But let me finish with this thought by Jacob Needleman. It is only in and through people, inwardly developed men and women, that God can exist and act in this world. The proof for the existence of God is the existence of people who are inhabited by and who manifest God. Here's a question we can ask ourselves this Christmas. How can we continually open our souls every day to be inhabited by God? How can we let love cross over into us? How can it be less of me and more of him? <music>